All right. Hello, everyone. Really glad you are here. So uh, uh, a number of years ago, uh, one of my kids, I think he was about 11 years old, he uh, came up and he asked me this question. He said, Dad, how do I grow? How do I grow? And, and I knew what was behind the question. So he was beginning to make these genetic connections regarding his body shape and mine. Um, and he really wasn't too happy about that. Uh, he wanted to know how he could get kind of bigger arms um, and a more muscular body, right? I think I mentioned it. Sam something, ah, maybe you should try weightlifting or whatever, which he eventually jumped into, uh, started doing, you know, eventually started doing T25 and body beast and all that stuff. The result is now his body looks nothing like mine. Uh, his biceps are like twice as big as mine. Um, so he overcame the gene pool, which is awesome for him. But um, that question that he asked me years ago, how do I grow? How can I grow? Is a question that I think all of us wonder about, especially as it relates to our, our spiritual lives. We look at our, our spiritual biceps and maybe we wonder, how, how can my faith grow stronger? Uh, how can my relationship with God deepen? How can I become more like, like Jesus? So we're looking at a passage uh, today uh, where the Apostle Paul is actually talking about this very thing. Uh, so if you have your Bible, um, feel free to turn or open to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. So in this section, from verse 7 to verse 16, Paul's primary focus is on this question of growth, of spiritual growth. Check out the final verse here, verse 15, at least. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. See, there's the goal of our spiritual growth. It's not just to fill our minds with information about Jesus. No, it is to grow up into him. In other words, it is to actually become more like Jesus in his faith, in his ability to love people, in his obedience to God. Now, what is, what is clear in the passage we're going to be looking at today is that God is actively working to help this happen in our lives, to see that this happens. In fact, he has provided a specific environment that is specially designed for us to grow spiritually. Just like my son spent a lot of time, you know, and his desire to grow physically, spent a lot of time in places like Vasa and the CSU Rec Center and all that, lifting weights to grow his muscles. God has provided us a particular environment in which we can thrive spiritually, an environment to help us become more like Jesus. The transformative environment, that transformative environment is the body of Christ, the gathered people of God. It is within that context that God works to achieve his purpose of transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. This is the ultimate body beast program, I guess you could say. It's the body of Christ beast uh, workout program. Okay, so, so within the context of the body of Christ, Paul, in this passage, we're going to see he identifies two dynamic factors that specifically contribute to our growth in Christ. And they are two words that are often used to describe Jesus to describe how Jesus lived. So in John chapter one, Jesus is described as being full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. So it is no surprise that as Paul is talking about us becoming more like Jesus, these two things are a critical part of that process, okay? That we would be full of grace and 
truth. So let's look at first at this concept of grace. In the Bible, grace is referred to as God's undeserved favor, right? God's undeserved favor. It is God lavishing on us his love and his forgiveness and his favor when we don't deserve it. Undeserved, that's grace. It's what Paul has been describing for the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are these recipients of God's amazing, immeasurable grace. Okay, we've been talking about that. But what often happens in our thinking about grace is that we stop right there. Undeserved favor, it's awesome, we stop right there. Um, Grace is, you know, it's just something we receive, period. But that's not how Paul experienced grace. That's not how Paul experienced God's grace. For Paul, his experience of grace actually propelled him into a totally different way of living. So we're just going to back up to one chapter. We looked at this a few weeks ago, but I want to focus on one part of chapter 3, verse 7. Look at what Paul says here. And think of the word grace as as I'm reading this. Just look at it. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. See, for Paul, God's grace was not only undeserved favor, it was also a supernatural empowering. God's grace was actually a supernatural empowering. God's grace shifted Paul's whole life so that now he viewed himself as a conduit of this grace to other people. See, God's grace radically changed Paul's entire perspective and purpose in his life. This is what grace does when we really let it get a hold of our hearts. This is what grace does When it's doing its work in us, it is not something to hoard. It is not licensed to go sin more because God's grace covers it. You know, I'm forgiven, so I can just do what I want. Good and grace, awesome, you know. I mean, technically, technically speaking, we can choose to use grace in that way. We can. We can choose to use grace in that way. But I know from personal experience that when we do, it actually robs God's grace of its power. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could sin more. Jesus died on the cross so that we could experience a grace that actually empowers us. A grace that empowers us. A grace that actually gives us a new purpose in life. To be a conduit of that grace to other people. See, that's what it looks like to fully experience grace. It it transforms us from consumer to distributor. We now have something wonderful to offer to other people. Okay, this is exactly where Paul goes in in this grace thing, in the passage we're looking at today. Look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended, Jesus ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, Paul is painting this picture. He's painting this picture of this vibrant context for spiritual growth. The, the, the body of Christ, where everyone is growing to become more like Jesus. And notice the fuel for this growth. Grace. Grace. More specifically, he says, gifts of grace. Sometimes these are referred to as spiritual gifts. Paul says that to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Jesus has given each one of us gifts of grace, spiritual gifts. And it was no easy task for him to give you these gifts and to give us these gifts. <clears throat> Paul, this description of Jesus ascending on high and taking captives and then giving gifts to people, that is a reference to Jesus' work on the cross. Whereas victor over our enemy, Jesus, the conquering king, is giving gifts to his people. That's what this is describing. Jesus is giving gifts to his people. So this is not a flippant thing. This is not a sort of a casual thing. This is a big deal. Jesus paid a high price for you and me to have these grace gifts, to have these, these grace gifts. They, they are not to be squandered. They are not to be ignored. Jesus has specifically chosen you to receive whatever gift or gifts you have. Okay, so to what purpose are these gifts of grace given? Well, Paul makes it very clear. The purpose of these gifts is for the spiritual growth of everyone in the body of Christ. That's why these gifts are given, for the spiritual growth of everyone in the body of Christ. The purpose of these gifts is to create this environment where people are equipped and transformed to become more like Jesus. Now, it is at this point, it's at this point in this kind of conversation that a lot of Christians take an unfortunate detour by concluding, oh, the church exists for me. The, the church is a place for me to grow. The church is a place for me to get fed. The church is a place for me to learn more about God. And while there is certainly some truth in that, there is also some grave danger because we can begin to see the church through the lens of consumer. So check out this video from John Christ advertising virtual reality church. Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again, because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you like and we'll select a pastor for you. 
We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. Oh, man, I don't know what to do. Clap, I don't know what to clap or what on that. But uh, that video, it's hilarious, and yet it's also kind of convicting at the same time. Right? It shows, it shows where, this, where this consumeristic approach to church leads us. So it inevitably leads us to a place where we're focused on how the church is meeting my needs and my preferences. Am I being fed? Do I like the worship songs? Do I like the stage design? You know, I mean, all that stuff. That's where it leads us. And can I be totally honest here? Totally honest. I, I often get sucked into this as a pastor. So I can start obsessing about how, oh, we got to put on the best worship, we got the best team, whatever, you need the best, best, whatever, making sure everyone likes the songs and volume or whatever. And before I know it, I'm no longer a pastor. I'm a performer. I'm a performer trying to please people so they'll come back. What are we doing? I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> what has the body of Christ become when we're all consumers or performers? And, and what's happening to our soul in the process? What's happening to our soul in the process? Now, please hear me. I, I totally get the need to find a church that, where you connect with the teaching and the worship and, 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 and all that stuff and the vision. Totally get that. I, but once we decide on that church, we need, to dis, we need to really guard against the dangers of a consumeristic mindset creeping in. So... For instance, while I totally get the concept of internet church, I do totally get the concept, you know, where if we're out of town or it's a snowy day or we're homesick or whatever, we can still watch the message online. I totally get that. But where I personally struggle is when pajama church becomes our experience of church, right? Where, where our only real connection to a church is online. And I'm not saying that can't be spiritually beneficial. In any, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that I don't see how what Paul is describing here in Ephesians 4 happens in our pajamas. See, what, what Paul is describing here is a context in, we are, in which we are not only receiving input and ministry from others, but we are also actively involved in ministering to others. Which brings us back to this concept of spiritual gifts. Paul says here that each one of us, each one of us has been given spiritual gifts so that we can be a conduit of grace to others. See, when we're always on the receiving end, we become spiritual swamps. Now, a swamp is a body of water that collects water, but it has no water going out. So it just sits there and stagnates. It, it breeds nasty stuff, right? Uh, no one wants to build their home by a swamp. No one wants to drink water from a swamp, right? If they do, they get sick. 
I mean, swamp-like spirituality does the same thing. It is, it, it is not a pathway to spiritual growth. It is not a pathway to becoming more like Jesus. It is a pathway to greater levels of self-absorption and stagnation where we're not conduits of grace. We're conduits of negativity and criticism and consumerism. It's all about, it's all about me. It's all about us. So what Paul is saying here is, don't be a spiritual swamp. Don't be a spiritual swamp. Be a life-giving stream. Be a conduit of God's grace to others. Use the spiritual gifts that you have been given to equip and to help and to serve others. And by doing that, you grow spiritually. You grow spiritually. You experience the life that Jesus invites you to experience. And other people grow spiritually because you are pouring in to them. Again, the picture Paul paints of, 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 uh, here is, it's so fascinating, really, this, this, this thriving, dynamic, living organism, this body of Christ, the body of Christ, where every part has a function, and every person has a purpose and role. And when, when every person is joyfully embracing the, the, their role, the whole body benefits from that. So three months ago, three and a half months, I think I injured my finger. I told, mentioned it in one of the sermons. Um, but uh, this ligament in my finger. So this joint, it's probably about a centimeter long, I'm guessing. Um, and so the tendon that I tore is, you know, just this tiny, small, unseen part of my body. And yet this injury impacted my whole life. I mean, all the things that I took for granted to do, you know, be able to do, writing and typing on the computer and, and exercise and shaking hands and shampooing my hair and playing golf and all these things were impacted by this one little, little tiny injury. And it not only impacted me physically, it also impacted me emotionally because I was pretty grumpy and pretty frustrated about how long it was taking. And even after I started therapy on this thing, it's like... They do have hand therapists, believe it or not. But uh, as I was doing hand therapy on this, it was like, man, why is this taking so long to get better? So I was frustrated. I was discouraged. Just a tiny part of my body impacted every part of my life. I mean, no wonder Paul uses this body analogy to describe the church. Because every part, every part, of this body is important and necessary for the health and the well-being of the whole body. And if one part, even one little part, isn't functioning, the whole body is impacted by that. The whole body is impacted by that. If this is your church home, if this is your church home, you belong to this body. You belong to this body. I'm not talking about, oh, I've been to the membership class. It doesn't matter. You belong to this body. God has given each of you gifts of grace, certain abilities, expertise, experiences that he wants, he wants you to use to bless and to build up his body, to make his church a place where people can grow and lives can be impacted, including yours. <laughs> That's the way this works, including yours. The way, the, way, the way to become a stream rather than a swamp is to serve. The way to become a stream rather than a swamp 
is to serve. Use the gifts of grace God has given you to be a conduit of grace to others. Okay, so what are some of these gifts of grace? What are some of these spiritual gifts? Well, Paul mentions a few of these. Um, Verse 11, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. These were offices in that time. They were offices that played a significant role in the development of the church in that time of the church, early in the the time of the church there. But they're they're, they're critically important gifts today. In, in the life of the church today. So unfortunately, though, when we, when we read this list or when we hear some of these terms, we often immediately think, oh, this is just church staff, right? This, is, this doesn't apply to me. This is pastors on staff and all that stuff. No, no, no. This is talking about a diversity of spiritual gifts that God gives, that God gives to a variety of people in his body. And each one is critically important. So for instance, we need people with the gift of apostleship. Now, we're not talking, you know, there was a special, you know, role office of apostle in, in the New Testament. But we need people with the gift of apostleship who are, who are um, gifted in fearlessly taking new ground and exploring new territory, going after unmeet needs that they see all around them. We need people with that kind of apostolic gifting. We need people who have a prophetic gifting. A prophetic gifting, which means they're able to hear from God. They're able to hear from God and then communicate that to other people in a way that, that connects with them. We need people with the gift of evangelism. Um, all, all that word means, because that word kind of has a negative connotation, all that word means is, is a person who loves having conversations about Jesus with people who don't yet know him. That's all it is. And we need people. We, we need that gift. This is one gift so vital to the health and vibrancy of a growing church, and yet it often just gets ignored or not talked about. We need people with pastoral gifts. We, we have overcomplicated what this word pastor means. Uh, I mean, today, we think of a pastor as being someone with a theological degree who leads an entire church or ministry and gives sermons. But the word pastor, it means shepherd. It means shepherd. It's someone who is willing to walk alongside another person, loving them and caring for them. So for those of you who help facilitate a small group, you are exercising the gift of pastor. And we need more of you. Uh, I mean, more people like you, I should say. Um, for those of you who are, who are standing beside and loving someone, walking someone through a difficult time, you are exercising the gift of pastor. And again, we need more people like you serving in that way. In, in addition to the specific gifts that Paul just mentioned, those five on verse 11, there are many, many other spiritual gifts um, in, in, that are mentioned in other passages of Scripture as well. Um, and you can look at these other passages, 1 Corinthians 12 and, and Romans 12, but gifts of, of healing, gifts of administration, of encouragement, of giving, of mercy, of leadership, of of creative arts. All of these gifts and more, all of them are needed for the body of Christ to thrive and to grow. Okay, so maybe you're wondering, well, how do I know what my spiritual gifts are? How do I figure that out? Here's here's the easiest way. Just uh, pay attention to your heart, first of all. So pay attention to your heart. and, and, And are there certain age groups that you're kind of drawn to, or maybe there are certain things around here that just irritate you because uh, they're not done very well or whatever, or, or maybe there are certain ministries that you enjoy receiving from. Well, pick one of those areas and start serving. 
Um, we have a serving banner on our website where you can express interest in, in a particular area of ministry. But once you start serving, you will quickly discover what gifts, what your spiritual gifts you have and, and maybe some that you don't have. And that's okay. That's a part of the process of discovery. Don't be paralyzed. I know some people, they get paralyzed. I don't know if that's my gift. I don't know if this is my gift. I don't know what my gifts are. And they get paralyzed by overanalyzing. Is this the right ministry for me? Is this, you know, remember the goal, becoming like Jesus. That's the goal, becoming like Jesus. While, while fruitfulness is awesome, um, there is something powerful in the serving itself that reminds us we get to be conduits of grace towards other people. We get to be conduits of grace for other people, which is an amazing privilege. Okay, so think about this question as it relates to grace. What, what, here's a question for all of us. What impact is grace having in your spiritual life these days? Are you becoming more of a consumer of grace or a conduit of grace? A swamp or a stream? That's a really important question, and it's a question that has a huge impact on your and my experience of spiritual growth, according to Paul. All right, so that's the first, the first aspect of, of spiritual growth, grace. In addition to grace, Paul describes a second vital aspect of our experiencing spiritual growth within the body of Christ, and this is the issue of truth, of truth. Let's look at what Paul says about truth, um, beginning of verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Okay, so Paul uses some very vivid imagery here to describe what it looks like to be a Christian who is not spiritually mature. And in the image he uses here, he kind of uses dual images. He, he says it's like, it's like being an infant who is tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by false teaching and by the cunning deception of people and culture and society and all that stuff. So I was watching this, uh, this miniseries on Netflix uh, recently, and it was, uh, it was a BBC series, I think, where these people were on a ship from England to Australia in the early 1900s, and none of the people had sailed before. And so the first few weeks at sea were miserable, right? I mean, they were vomiting and just being tossed here and there whenever the ship would just be moved. They would be tossed here and there, couldn't even stand up. Every wave hit the ship. But the sailors on the ship, they weren't bothered in the least. They weren't bothered in the least. They knew how to stand in the midst of these waves. They knew how to manage See, that, that's a picture of what Paul is describing here. The body of Christ is like a ship. Body of Christ is like a ship. And we're in this together. Right? We're on this ship together. And yet we live in a culture where there are all sorts of waves of philosophies and ideas and deceptions and, and that are coming against the ship and that are swaying and all that stuff, swaying the ship. And, 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 and so, again, we're in this together. And yet we live in a culture where there are all these waves and, and these waves have the power to derail each one of us, to cause us to stumble or to lose our way or to lose our perspective. But here's what Paul is saying. 
we are not alone in this. See, we're not alone in this. We are in this together. We're in this together. So we can learn together how to walk in the truth of Jesus rather than the lies of our culture. So how does that happen? Well, Paul says right here, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. This is such a powerful concept. It is this beautiful idea of being part of a community where we can have hard conversations. What an amazing idea to be a part of a community where we can actually have hard conversations, where we can talk about what it looks like to walk with Jesus in a society where sexuality has become cheap sport. Or what it looks like to walk with Jesus in a society where love has been reduced to a country music song. Or, or, or where Amazon Prime has become our savior from the boredom that we feel. Or, or where pornography is pulling us away from real relationships. See, in this beautiful body of Christ, we can talk honestly about what it looks like to walk with Jesus in a world like this. We can speak the truth in love to one another, pointing each other to this amazing Savior who is truth. He is truth. When we live according to his way, when we align our lives according to his truth, we experience a stability in the midst of storms, right? We experience a contentment. We're not... Freaking out in fear, there's a contentment, there's a stability, there's a thriving in our relationships, a healthy sexuality, a holy mindfulness, a growing intimacy with Jesus. All of these things are ours when we root our lives in the truth of who Jesus is. And again, we're in, we need each other in this. That's the invitation from Jesus to us. It is an invitation to life. It's an invitation to life where we're not tossed here and there, by the subtle and yet and not so subtle and self-absorbed seductive lives of the world around us. We're not tossed here and there in this culture that we live in. We are rooted in Jesus, following his way of life together. Now, here is the critical question as it relates to this issue, this aspect of spiritual growth. Here's the question. Who do you have in your life that is speaking the honest, unfiltered, loving truth to you? Who do you have in your life that's not afraid to tell you the truth? Who, who is close enough to you to see where you're believing lies and to gently but honestly call it out? See, I can't emphasize enough how important this question is. Are you close enough in your relationship with people who are able to speak the truth in love to you. If, if not, if you're going it alone, oh yeah, my spouse, you say, oh yeah, my spouse, yeah, right, when, when does she do that? When does he do that? You know what I mean? I'm just asking this question honestly. Who's close enough to you? Or who has the guts to speak the truth to you? If not, if you're going it alone, you make an incredibly easy target for society, for the enemy to whisper lies that will actually start sounding true to you and yet will eventually knock you off your feet, spiritually speaking, because you're on your own. Who is close enough to you to see your bull and call, it, call you on it? 
seriously. The other day I had a conversation uh, with someone in our church who had been hurt by a decision that I had made. Um, And as she shared with me her perspective, I realized I was thinking back on this decision and she was sharing her perspective. And I realized that my decision had been totally rooted in this fear of man, which is a a huge issue for me, this fear of people, fear of man. And, and, And she saw it. She saw it all along. So she was sharing her perspective. She loved me enough to share the truth with me the truth that I needed to hear. I needed to hear that. And had she not said anything, I would have missed that, that opportunity to hear truth. I apologized. I saw it then for what it was. I asked for her forgiveness. I repented before God. I reversed my previous decision. See, I need people speaking the truth in love to me. And so do you. So do you. We all have blind spots We all have blind spots. We all have areas where we are vulnerable to deception. And we need people speaking the truth in love. And what this requires is is some grace and humility where we're open to hearing it, right? (laughs) Where we're open to hearing it. So our spiritual health, our journey to become more like Jesus is directly connected to our experience of grace and truth in the body of Christ. Grace and truth in the body of Christ. So are you, are you a conduit of grace in this church family? And are you close enough to people who can and do speak the truth in love to you? Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, thank you for your word and God, the, the stirring in our hearts, I believe for all of us here, is we want to become more like Jesus. We want to become more like you. And thank you for giving us the body of Christ to help us grow towards that. So let's just give some room here for the Holy Spirit to speak. First about this issue of grace. So Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to each one of us about our experience of grace? Are we, more of a, are we more of a consumer or a conduit? Are we a, are we a swamp or a stream? Well, let's just take a moment, just ask the Holy Spirit that question. How are you experiencing grace? Father, I just pray for an overwhelming sense of grace that just, it empowers us. And I thank you for those who are already serving in various ways and investing and being conduits. And maybe there's some here where like, man, I want to do that. My heart's being stirred for that. And I pray, Lord, that you would just, you would quicken that. You would stir that up. You would give gifts. You would release gifts in this body. And that there would be a joy in using those gifts for your glory and being involved and invested in what you're doing, being conduits of grace to other people. So I just want to pray for that stirring of gifts and that stirring of desire to to invest in this body in this way and to use these gifts, joyfully use them 
for your glory, Lord, to, to build up the body of Christ and, and where we get built up in the process as well. So do that work in us, Lord. Just pray for an increase. And then related to this area of truth, are you close enough to people who can call you on your stuff? Who can point out areas where you're believing lies or making unwise choices? Or are you pretty much on your own? So let's just, let's just ask the Lord about that. So Holy Spirit, speak to us about this area of truth and our relationships and our willingness to hear truth. God, would you help us? We don't want to do this. Well, sometimes we do want to do it on our own, but it doesn't end well. We need other people who are close enough to us to call us out on our stuff lovingly, to point out truth in a gentle but loving way. We need that. I need that. Every person here needs that. And I want to pray into that. I want to pray that you would continue to help us as a church grow in our relationships, whether it's through small groups, ministry, whatever it happens to be, just friendships, that we would grow in our relationships so that we can speak the truth in love to each other and we can hear the truth in love. And I want to pray for us. Lord, we're on this ship together and, and the waves are sometimes pretty big, Lord, and there are all sorts of things that, are, that come against the, our, our way of thinking. And, and, and Lord, we just, we acknowledge that reality. But thank you that we're in this together and that you are growing us together to be stronger so that we know how to stand. We're not knocked over by these things. We're able to stand and we align our lives with you, Jesus. And there's a stability, there's a joy, there's a contentment that comes from living that way together. And so I pray for that kind of strength and growth for this body of Christ. I, I just, that, that, that I have the privilege of, of shepherding, of pastoring. I pray this kind of growth. In the name of Jesus, Lord, you would do what you're describing in Ephesians 4. <laughs> and it would be such a privilege, and it is just to be a part of all that you're doing in this church. So thank you for what you're doing, and we pray you would increase that. You would continue that and increase that, growing us to become more like Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this amazing environment called the church, the body of Christ, where we get to grow to become more like you. And thank you for this group of people where we get to worship you. When we gather, we get to focus not only on your word, but on who you are and to sing your praise, to express your praise. So thank you that we get to do that. In fact, we're going to do that right now. So why don't, why don't we stand Church, feel free to stand. We love you, God. Thank you that together we get to worship you and praise you. Set us free to do that right now. Thank you, Lord.